0: Uh, so last week we began a little mini-series uh, we're calling The Target of Testing and re- reiterated the point that, that you are the target of testing because you are the object of God's love. God in his wisdom Uh, and his love and his care for you and for me and his commitment to our sanctification will allow tests to come into our life to refine us, to mature us, to equip us so that we can be more effective in the world around us uh, and best represent the Jesus that we love uh, so much. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and one of the tools that God uses in the workmanship of us is testing to refine us and so last week we took a look at the the test of trust and we looked at Abraham and 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 Sarah and how they needed to learn to trust God with timing and allow God to write the narrative right and and not uh jump in on what God was doing and um Trust God with His timing and need need to simply um, submit to that. Uh, Having belief and trust is very different, right? We could believe uh, one thing, but trust takes belief and puts faith on it, puts feet on it, and causes us to relinquish control. And that's what Abraham learned. And then uh, we took a look at the test of endurance. Uh, Considered the words that James wrote to the church in James uh, chapter 2, this church that was enduring hard uh, hardship and persecution, and as a result, were, were literally scattered uh, for their faith in Christ and running for their lives, and it is to this audience that James writes in James chapter 1, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith it produces steadfastness. And he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect. The word there is mature, complete, whole, lacking in nothing. Notice what he says here. He says, for you know that the, the testing of your faith, it produces something. It's not that God brings you through a season of testing with no purpose, but it produces something. It produces steadfastness. And steadfastness produces something as well. Steadfastness produces spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is how we navigate the realities of living in a world that we're not a part of any longer, but are living here as missionaries. It is our spiritual maturity kicked in that allows us to navigate through this life, through this world that is not our home, so we can best reflect the character of Christ to the world around us. You are the target of testing because you are the object of God's love. And so we looked at the test of trust, the test of endurance, and this morning we're going to take a look at the test of faith. The test of faith. In the book of Daniel, we're introduced to a vile king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we're going to put you right to the test this morning and have you spell <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. Um, But Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he is a wealthy king. And he has created an image of gold. Now, many of you have heard the story. I pray you'd allow yourself to hear it like it's the first time. He has created this image of gold, and he wanted all the people in the land to worship this image of gold as their god. And it wasn't a mere suggestion that he was making. In fact, it was a command that carried with it a very severe consequence, The king commanded that at the sound of the trumpet and and the horns and the sound of all of the instruments, his command was that when they heard the music, they were to bow down and worship the image, this golden image that the king had set up. The king commanded that if they don't do that, they would be thrown to their death in a fiery furnace. Now, the king had a couple of young men. They were Israelites, who oversaw the affairs of the province, province of Babylon? They were in influential positions in the land. Three Hebrew boys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the day came where their music played, and that was their cue. Upon the hearing of the music, everybody was to bow down and worship the golden image, and that's exactly what happened. As the music played, everybody bowed down to worship the golden image. Save three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were unwilling to bow to a false god because they were lovers and servers of the God of Israel. And their act of defiance enraged people. You know why? Because people don't like when you choose not to go with the flow. Right? When you're not doing it because everybody else is doing it, you become the outcast. And so they weren't making a statement to the people, they were making a statement to God about their faith and saying, we serve the one true God, we will not bow. And it infuriated the people because, hey, everybody's doing it. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 9, we see that this audience goes and they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, oh, king, live forever. Now they begin to prop up the king a little bit. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the the trigon and, and the bagpipe and every kind of music, every one of them are to, they shall fall down and worship the golden image. And in case you've forgotten, king, those you said who do not bow down, they were to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, king, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed, by the way. You see, king, these guys are a reflection of you. And these three guys here that that you have appointed over the pharaohs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And they're, 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 what are they doing? They're trying to throw some gas on the fire. Let's get the, the king upset a little bit. Let them know, let this king know that these boys, that he is responsible for putting in a position of authority. They have publicly defied this command. And the king calls for these young men and asks them a question. Is it true? Is it true that you defy the order that I have put out is it true that you're unwilling to yield and bow down to the golden image that I have set up listen guys he'll give you one more chance he says he said when you hear the sound of the music if you'll bow down and worship the golden image I'm gonna let it slide I'll give you one more chance otherwise you're going into the fiery furnace could you imagine what was going on in the mind of these young men I'm sure they were kind of thinking to themselves, well, what, what, you know, what, what if? What, what if we just... What if we just bow down and worship Jehovah? Nobody, nobody will know. We don't have to pay homage. No, they they did not want to give anybody the appearance that they were worshiping anything other than the one true God." And I love the response here. These young men who had not compromised, they say in verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, this isn't even something we need to discuss. Our mind is made up. We've crossed over the line. Compromise is not an issue to us. There's no conversation to be had. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that. I mean, they doubled down on the king. They refused to compromise. And I love what they say here. And king, you know, we believe God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods or worship the golden image. We would rather die in the fiery furnace worshiping the one true God than to yield and surrender and to give the impression to anybody that we're serving anything other than your God. The king is infuriated at this point. Of course he is. How dare you publicly defy my order? Bind them up. Turn the heat up. In fact, they turned the heat up on the furnace seven times hotter. Those who carried these bound Hebrew children into the furnace, the scripture says that those men who carried them in died just from the heat. And they threw them into the fire. And to the dismay of the king, something happens verse 24 then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished you think he was shocked before at the way that they defied him look at how God defies him then the King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declares to his counselors did we not cast three men bound in the fire And he answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. They take these three Hebrew boys, they throw them bound into the fire, and the only thing that burns up is the things that were binding them up. And not only does God release them of the things that bound them up, but God shows up, sends his angel, and now there's four of them. They're walking around. They're marching. I probably somebody like, Matt, like Manny, right? They're jumping up and down. They're excited. They're, the joy of the Lord is their strength. They're, they're, they're just charging this hill, worshiping the goodness of God. And God steps into the fiery furnace. Listen. Sometimes you know God's with you, and sometimes you just have to trust that He's with you, but He is always with you. He is always with you. God delivers the boys, they pass the test of faith. And Nebuchadnezzar has a bit of a change as well, by the way. Look at verse 28 Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God. Of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Wow, what a testimony. Therefore, he says, I make a new decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that person shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Talk about a change of mind. I'm sure that was not the the religious freedom that they were shooting for, right? They weren't like, like, listen, you don't got to tear anybody apart. Just let us worship, right? Right? But we see this major shift in Nebuchadnezzar. Who knows how your faithfulness to the test is going to impact the people in the world around you? Look at the way the king shifted in his theology, in his belief. We see a change. And you know what, as we maintain a a right posture and are unwilling to compromise, enduring those tests of faith, not only will God come through, but it'll be the best sermon anybody's ever heard watching you stand your ground. The test of trust, the test of endurance, the test of faith. The next test I want us to focus on is one that's a bit challenging to each and every one of us and it's this, it's the test of obedience. It's challenging because none of us like to obey. Come on now. No, nobody likes to be told what to do, right? Especially, especially when you feel like you know what you're doing. Nobody likes to have anybody come in and tell us how we need to live our life. Especially, hey, let's get honest, the older you get, the less open you are to having anybody tell you what to do. But you know what? The very nature of lordship is recognizing that Jesus is the one that calls the shots. We, we relinquish control, we jump out of the driver's seat, and we allow God to drive. Jesus said it this way, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? You see, we need to remember that the very nature of lordship is that you and I, we don't call the shots. We don't read the scripture and then determine whether or not we're going to obey it or not. That's not what a disciple, now people do that but that's not the right posture we ought to have. A disciple responds affirmatively to the Lord of his life and that's what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? And don't do what I tell you to do. Why do you call yourself a disciple and not follow the path that I've carved out for you? It's not an easy thing to do. But here's the catch. We need to remember that when God is calling us to do something, no matter how difficult or no matter how much it might not make sense to you, when God calls you to do something, it's always with your best interest in mind. You are the target of testing because you are the object of God's love. And if God is calling you to do something that doesn't necessarily make sense, it's because you and I are bound by time. We can only see as far as we can see, but God is over time. He, know what's, he knows what's coming down the road, and when God calls us to do something, it's because He's preparing us for what is ahead. And there's a lot of examples we see in the Scripture of people needing to obey in areas that didn't seem to make sense to them. One of them that comes to mind is Second uh, Kings chapter five, a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a commander of the king of Syria and Naaman had leprosy and so his master the king of Syria sends word out to the king of Israel sends Naaman a letter and gifts over to the king of Israel with this appeal will you please heal Naaman. And when the king of Israel gets the letter, he's enraged because the king of Israel is not a prophet, he is not a priest, he is not someone who acts on behalf of God and heals people. One of the things the kings of Israel learned very quickly is you let the priests do what they do, you let the prophets do what they do, and you stick to your zone. And so he he gets infuriated and saying, what does he think, who does he think I am? But then Elisha, the prophet, catches wind of what's going on. And he says to the king of Israel, you know what? Have Naaman swing by my house and I'll take care of him. And everybody in Syria will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now I'm sure the king of, Is- the king of Syria knew that there was a prophet in Israel. Elisha was very well known. But you see, the king didn't want to reach out to anyone other than a king. A king did not want, and the commander following the lead of the king didn't want to step down and reach out to a prophet. And so kings like to speak to kings. They don't want to reach out to anybody in their estimation who might be beneath them. You ever meet people like that? They, want to speak, they, they just want to speak to the person who's at the top. Whoever they think is the most important person in the room, that's the only one they have time for. It's the only one they want to speak to. There was a time, I remember Pastor Taylor had received a phone call here at the church and, and I'm listening to the conversation and, and a person called up and they said, they want to speak to the senior pastor of the church. They've got some questions about the church and, 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 and they made it very clear and you're not capable of answering my questions. And Pastor Taylor was so gracious and patient, and I'm listening to him go through this conversation. And he said, well, he, he, he's busy right now. Can, maybe I can answer your question. No, no, you can't answer my questions. You're not the senior pastor of the church. I only want to speak to the senior pastor of the church. And so he said, well, I, I really can't get I said, Put him through, I'm happy to. See, the guy said to Pastor Taylor, I'm thinking about coming to your church, but I only want to speak to the senior pastor of the church. And so he gave me the phone and I got on the call and I said, hi, my name is Tony. I'm the senior pastor of the church. I understand you're thinking of coming, to integrity I advise against that Uh, you wouldn't like it here it probably wouldn't be a good fit we don't talk to people the way you just spoke to one of the pastors of our church have a great day click (laughs) it was wonderful you see people think that roles equate to value Brother, sister, the road, the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There are no special sons or daughters, right? And so what we see here in this king is he only wanted to speak to the king. He didn't want to speak to a prophet, but now the door is open, right? And so Naaman decides, all right, you know what? I'll go to the prophet. Lucky day for Elisha because I'm showing up is what he's thinking. We pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, the whole entourage, and they came to the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha wouldn't even come to the door. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, "Listen, you know what? Go over to the Jordan, and wash yourself in the Jordan and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. I love that. I mean, this guy's thinking, hey, you know what? Lucky day for Elijah. I've come to town and Elijah wouldn't even come to the door, sends the messenger to tell him, go jump in the lake <laughs> and tell him to do it seven times. Now, the Jordan was a polluted water. And so he tells him, listen, just go and jump in a lake. Look at verse 11, but Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Doesn't he know who I am? I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Look, this guy had a narrative in in his mind all set up. He's going to walk up and everybody's going to be impressed at who he is and Elisha's going to bow before him and call upon the God of Israel and he's going to be healed. No. Sends the messenger out and tells him to go jump in a lake. A polluted one. At that, He says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Those aren't polluted waters. Like, at, least, at least send me in a clean brook. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in rage. But his servants, who made a long distance, were like, "Oh wait a minute, let's just settle down here. Let's de-escalate a little bit here. And they said to him, listen, guy, right? My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will, Will you not do it? Didn't he actually tell you that if you'll just wash, you'll be clean? Like, who cares how you need to do it, the goal, the final result, the end game is you're walking out of here clean. So he takes the advice of his servants, he goes and he dips down in the lake once, twice, three times. I'm sure he's probably thinking this is ridiculous. How embarrassing, how beneath me, here I am in this polluted water, and well jump in a lake, he doesn't even tell four, five, six, and on the seventh time he emerges, and it says the flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. you see. Naaman's leprosy on the outside revealed the ugliness of pride that was on the inside. Naaman's biggest problem wasn't leprosy. Naaman's biggest problem was what was going on on the inside of his heart. And you know, testing has a way of addressing areas that aren't so visible to us and to the world around us. Nobody was able to see the pride and the arrogance in Naaman's heart, but God knew it was there. And so he gives the instruction, tell him to go jump in a lake, let's deal with the pride and the arrogance. And upon that seventh time up, his skin is restored. Is God calling you to obey him in an area that just doesn't make sense to you? Pastor Tom mentioned last week, I really appreciated it. He talked about the importance of obeying God in our tithes and our offerings. That's difficult. What harder thing to do than obey God in the giving of our funds, our resources? He talked about how in Malachi chapter three, the scripture says it's the only place in all the scripture where God says you can test him. God says, test me in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing upon you so great that you won't even have room to contain it doesn't make sense why would God want me require me to give 10% of my resources to him it's so that I would learn number one he is the owner of all things and number two to teach me and show me what God can do with 90% is far greater and goes far further than my 100% ever would have gone Hey, maybe, maybe God is calling you to obey in extending forgiveness to someone who's hurt you time and time again. You see, on the other side of that obedience will be your freedom. Maybe you need to obey him in and, and letting go of some vices that you have held on to, things that you have, have clung, to, clung to over time. Maybe the vices of drinking or smoking Or viewing things on the internet that that you ought not to be looking at. Maybe God is calling you to obey Him in those areas and letting go of those vices. On the other side of obedience is freedom from the bondage that those things will lock you up in. And God brings us through the test of obedience to show us what's on the inside the test of trust, the test of endurance, the test of faith, the test of obedience. And last, lastly, let's take a look at the, the test of love. When I think about this test, I think of the apostle Peter. Peter was always the first one to jump in and declare his love and his loyalty for Jesus. Peter was one who oftentimes, he wore his heart on his sleeve. He you he never had to wonder what Peter was thinking. In Matthew chapter 16 Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he asks his disciples this question, What do others think of me? Who do they say that I am? And they began to respond to Jesus, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back. Others say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus hones in a little closer and says to them, Okay, so who do you say that I am? And Peter's the first one to respond. Peter steps up and says, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms Peter and says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, he has revealed this to you. And upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Catholic teaching would say that that the church was built upon Peter. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is saying is upon this statement, upon this fact that Jesus is the Christ, is upon that truth statement that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God does not build his church upon a man. There's a big moment for Peter. Man, flesh and blood has revealed this to you. My father in heaven, I came direct from the throne, Peter. A big moment followed by a less than big moment. Not very many moments later. Here's the scene. Jesus is with his disciples again. It's Matthew chapter 16. They are having the Passover and he, no, I'm sorry. He's he's talking about his, his death and resurrection. It's not Passover yet. He's speaking about his death and his resurrection. And Peter Upon hearing that, this is time out. Jesus, we need to have a little come to Jesus moment. Can, I, can we talk, can we take it outside? Let's take it outside. Not wanting to rebuke Jesus publicly, Peter, who was just affirmed by Jesus, having heard from the Father, thinks that it's time for him to show Jesus what the Father has just revealed to him. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. You know, enthusiasm and love will have you do crazy things. This is one of them right here. If you find yourself rebuking Jesus, you've got a problem. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not speaking of the things of God, you're speaking of the things of man. Hey Peter, listen, you hit a grand slam over here, but boy, you struck out right here. You're not speaking for God, you're speaking for yourself. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is now celebrating the Passover with his disciples and and it's here that he's, he's, he's instituting the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says to them again, listen, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised you up, after I'm raised up, Jesus said, I'll go before you in Galilee. And there it is again, Peter answers. I didn't see anybody ask a question, by the way. Right? Jesus didn't say, what do you think about this? Please give me your insight. Help me process this. Didn't see any of that. Jesus just, this is what it is. But Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, Jesus, I will never fall away. I, you know what? I can see that happening with these guys, but not the rock, not the guy who you'll build the church on, right? I can see this happen, but I, Jesus, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I tell you the truth, before the end of the night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's response again to him is, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And now all the disciples chimed in, yeah, yeah, yeah me either, Lord, me either. You gotta love Peter's devotion. And here's the thing. Peter really believed what he said. He really, he really meant that with all of his heart. But see, the problem was, he wasn't aware of all that was going on on the inside. You see, testing was going to bring to surface in Peter things that Peter was unaware of, areas uh, that that, that were going to become obstacles in his growth. Because it wasn't long after that, following the arrest of of Jesus, that Peter would have had opportunity to stand up for his Lord. But he denies knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, just as Jesus said he would. Fast forward a little bit, Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he dies, right? He, he, he resurrects and he presents himself, right, to our risen savior. But there's still this unsettled matter between Peter and Jesus. This, this denial had not yet been addressed. And it's interesting, especially, you know, from what we know about Peter, you can imagine this is probably driving him crazy knowing what he had done. After it happened, it said he went and wept bitterly. John chapter 21 gives us a little bit of insight perhaps as to what might be going on with Peter. In John chapter 21, we see it says in verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now that might not be a big deal to you and I, but here's the thing, Peter used to be a fisherman by trade. And when Jesus said to him, hey, come and follow me and I'll make you fisher of men, Peter left fishing career and followed Jesus, but now he had tanked. And denied his Lord, and now Peter's like, "I'm heading out fishing again." Guess the party's over. I'm going fishing, and they said to him, "Hey, listen, we'll go with you." And what's sad about it is, look, it says they went out and they fished all night, and they caught nothing. I mean, not only is it frustrating to go back from back to what you came from, but not to, to not do it well is even more frustrating says they fished all night and they caught nothing and just as the day was breaking right verse four Jesus stood on the shore yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus it's just some guy on the shore and the guy calls out they say children did you catch any fish when you're fishing out all night long and you've caught nothing the last answer you want to have to give to somebody who asks you how you doing we're not doing very well have you caught any fish yet and they said no we haven't caught anything. And so the only thing that fishermen hate even more than that question is advice on here's what you need to do. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Now, remember, this is not like, you know, this isn't like the Rosie. That's like, you know, 45, 50, 100 feet long, whatever it is. Now, it's a little fishing boat, right? And so the other side is probably about eight feet away right here's what you need to do you need to take that net and put it off over to the other side and they were so desperate and they were so frustrated right and they were so open to anything that might bring some kind of results. they actually listened and they throw the net on the other side and the abundance of fish was so great they were unable to even lift it up and then John looks and says wait a minute it's the Lord It's Jesus over there. I knew something was up with this guy. And Peter catches that. And Peter jumps in the water and heads on out to see his Lord. And there is Jesus, and he's on the beach, and the barbecue is going. And Jesus is like, hey, bring the fish, because we love having fish barbecued in the morning, right? And so they bring the fish, and and they have breakfast together, and the the team is together again. And it's just a a wonderful reminder of, of what they've experienced. But I'm sure in the back of Peter's mind, he's just waiting this conversation and it takes place in verse 15 and it says when they finished breakfast Jesus said to Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these and Peter said you know why I love you he said feed my sheep asked him a second time Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he said Lord you know I love you and he said feed my sheep and he said to him a third time Simon son of John do you love me more than these and he's, now he's a little frustrated and said Lord you know everything you know that I love you and he said feed my sheep Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You see, Peter, when you were young and immature, you did whatever you wanted to do. You created the environment. You set the narrative. You went after what you wanted. But as you mature and as you grow, you're gonna realize you're not in control and some others will bring you places that you would choose not to go. And this is speaking of the kind of death that Peter would experience because, Jesus, because Peter experiences death as well for his faith. And it's after this that Jesus says to him, follow me, follow me. What's going on here? And I've shared this with you before. Excuse me if I'm repeating myself. But, but what, what's going on here? We have this limited language in, in, in the English. And, and so we use the word love for everything. And, and, but this was not written in English. This was written in Greek. And so, what Jesus is really saying to Peter is, Peter, do you agape me? That's the word for that we, we translate love. Peter, do you agape me? And you see, agape is the kind of love that, that God has. It's an unconditional love, it's a firm commitment, unwavering kind of a love. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I phileo you. That's another word that we interpret as love, but it's, it's actually where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. It's a, it's a brotherly affection that one has for another. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me unconditional? And Jesus said, and Peter says, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Imagine like the first time you, you looked at your spouse in the eye and you said, I love you. And she said, yeah, you're all right too. <laughs> right? Jesus is like, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Say asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I'm your friend. And then the last time, Jesus meets Peter right where he's at and says to him, Peter, do you phileo me? You see, the reality is Peter wanted to say I agape you. And if it was months earlier, Peter would have been the first one online to say, oh, I agape you unlike anybody else that's ever walked this planet. I am for you, Jesus. But the tests revealed some things about Peter that he realized, let me not be so firm on where I stand. Lord, I want to say I agape you, but I phileo you. And Jesus meets Peter where he's at. Peter, do you follow me? Yes, Lord, I I phileo you, and then Jesus goes on to say, there's there's gonna be a season, Peter. Unlike in the past where you got to call the shots, there's gonna be a process you're gonna go through that's gonna end up in your death, but what's gonna end up happening, Peter, is you're gonna move from phileo to agape love. And he says these words, Peter, follow me. You know, those are the first words that Peter heard come off the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter four. Peter's out there working, With his brother on a boat, and Jesus shows up and says, Hey, follow me, and I'll make you fish as men. And now here he is. This whole narrative has played out. Peter has had ups and he's had downs. And now Jesus is bringing him right back to the beginning, and he hears those words again Peter, follow me. But you see, the testing that Peter went through is what prepared Peter to be the impact maker in the kingdom of God. That he really is. Sometimes God will test our love for him by bringing us through challenging times. Times that the feelings aren't so strong. You've had them. You think, you know, I've, I have felt more in love with Jesus before. What's going on? Maybe it's not that God has pulled back. It's that he's inviting you to press in Deeper. It's in those times of testing that our true love for God emerges to the top. You are the target of testing because you are the object of God's love. The test of trust, the test of endurance, the test of faith, the test of obedience, and the test of love. May we be found faithful. May we see the test as a tool in the hands of God to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that that would be our posture, that Lord, we would so first put you first in all things and that we would see these opportunities that we have to grow more and more like you, that we'd not run from the test, but Lord, that we would embrace it knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and then spiritual maturity so that we might be a more useful tool in your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.